Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Brian, who is the CEO and a Global Chief Strategy Officer at OP, OP USA. And we're going to talk about BNPL, we're going to talk about banking, financial services, how to be innovative today in this space, which is growing, but it's also quite competitive, right? So welcome, Brian. How are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. So what's your background, Brian? How did you get to do what you do today? I spent over 30 years in the consulting space, helping very large companies establish their payments platforms, establish their payments products. So fintech, banking, and payments. And about half of that uh, time I spent at Deloitte, where I ran the global payments practice. I launched it in 2006 and led it to grow across 64 countries. And uh, yeah, and then I found my way to Opie as a result of trying to find somebody that could close a big gap. That's how I actually came here. Wonderful. As I said, you're the U.S. CEO and Global Chief Strategy Officer of OP. So what is OP's mission? What is the problem that you're solving? You said that there is a gap that you're trying to fill when it comes to payments. I guess nobody likes to make payments, by the way, right? Nobody likes to pay bills. So what else is out there that you can help us with? Yeah. So our mission is to clearly change the lives of people for the better by changing the way people pay for the better. There are a whole host of things that make payments difficult and we are solving for those. So we are a diversified payments fintech and we have B2B as well as B2C solutions. And I know today we're going to talk more about the B2C solution, which is a disruptor to the buy now, pay later world. All right, but let's explain it a little bit. Of course, in many countries, people use BNPL frequently. They love it. How does BNPL work? And especially from you or from provider's perspective, how do BNPL players assess credit risk? Is this actually a credit risk or is it just a split payment solution? Right. So let's start by defining because a lot of people have different definitions of BNPL. In many countries, including the United States, the definition that's generally understood is what I call BNPL 1.0. That is a, a pay in four model. You pay in four installments or less. So typically, if you're paying in four installments or something, it is going to be smaller, right? Because it doesn't really help you that much if you're trying to do something for $15,000, $20,000 to spread it out over, for example, two months every other week or fortnight, as they say, in some parts of the world. Pay in fours in the United States are not regulated. They're not considered loans. But the regulators here, once you do more than four installments, regulate you as a loan. That's a very important difference. And so BNPL 1.0 is good for things like financing t-shirts and tennis shoes, less expensive retail items, a couple hundred bucks, you know, 
largely the people in their 20s are buying those types of things and love them. What I'd like to differentiate from that is BNPL 2.0. And that's what Opie does. That's why we call it buy now, pay smarter, not buy now, pay later. What we're doing is essentially offering something that goes larger and longer. So up to 24 months to pay off up to $20,000 at a flat fee, at a flat fee. So we're not doing something that changes if you're a day late or a dollar short and that having a compounding interest rate, we're doing a flat fee. So you're really truly predicting exactly how much you're going to pay. You have peace of mind and the merchants that really care most about their consumers like this type of product because it keeps them out of a debt trap that they can't afford because they know exactly how much it's going to be. All right. So let's dive into it a bit more. So how do you call this service? How, how does that work? And uh, you mentioned 20,000 as, as an example. So what is the range of purchases that you are targeting and maybe types of purchases as well? Yeah. So we don't try to compete with the buy now, pay later 1.0s that are doing $200 items. We focus on the more meaningful things, uh, a lot of non-discretionary things. So if you think about a medical procedure, healthcare, dental, if you have a leaky roof, right, from a storm or your transmission or alternator is out in your car, those are very expensive things, right? A thousand to $20,000 types of things. That's what we tend to focus on. And we focus on it in areas where the merchant has an ongoing relationship with the consumer, as opposed to I'm going to buy a pair of, you know, tennis shoes or a t-shirt. And I really may never see that merchant again. That fast moving retail is what the BNPL 1.0s, the, the pay in fours, tend to focus on. We, we focus on the more meaningful, larger relationships where the loss rates are lower so that we can now provide a very low cost flat fee solution, which drives up sales because it gets people to get that transmission fixed. It gets them to get the care needed for their loved one or their pet instead of putting the, the pet down because now they can afford to spread it out and they don't have the tricks, the traps, the gimmicks that come with these variable rate products right? that change. A variable rate product, you might get a teaser rate for 0% interest for six months or 12 months. But most of the time you'll find that if you are one day late or $1 short, now not only does your rate go up to 27 or 36%, they charge you that amount in arrears as though from day one, you had that 27% rate. And as we know, people, even people that can afford things make mistakes. They sometimes miss a payment. They're forgetful. One in four to one in five people will over time miss a payment once in a while. And that's how a lot of these companies make the majority of their income is hoping people will miss a payment. We don't do that. And you mentioned a flat fee. So how does it work if you were to paint a picture? Say, it's, it's, I don't know whether it's discretionary or not. I was thinking about some big new TV worth a couple of thousand bucks, uh, but that's maybe not essential. But uh, let's say it is an expensive part of the car and it costs uh, $2,000 to replace and the work and all that's all together 3000 So how much the fee would be? Yeah. So if you were to take the flat fee and divide it by the total in the, I'm going to talk to the U S product because we sure. our product in the U S is a little different than the others, even though all of our countries do flat fee, 
um, the APR is a little bit different in each country. But in the US, our flagship product is called OPPay. And so OPPay, if you took the flat fee and divided it by the total amount of the loan, it's always a single digit APR, annual percentage rate. It's not an interest rate, right? It's not a compounding interest rate. It is a flat fee, but the regulators here, of course, want us to have a way to depict what it is as a percentage of the, uh, of the loan. So it's really low. It's as much as a third the cost of loans from other providers at 27 to 36%. So we're doing something that really does change lives because you have people that don't get their you know, car repaired and they drive dangerous vehicles or they don't get their root canal done and, and their teeth work done. And we know if you don't get your teeth taken care of, you, you can have heart disease, and all sorts of problems. So we want people to get, you know, those meaningful things taken care of, help them spread it out over time, keep the cost super low and work with the merchant, in this case, say the dentist, and the dentist pays part of the cost. They'll pay a merchant discount fee to help keep the rate low because they're trying to get the patient to do the right thing and get the work. It is a win-win because it's a shared cost between the consumer and the merchant. I see. I understood. So I, ju I was just going to ask, how can you afford that? So one thing is the partnerships with the merchants, but what about the technology behind your solution? How does that work? Critical. Absolutely critical. It actually starts by picking verticals with low loss rates and then going to the credit boxes at the sub-vertical level. So we're very surgical about what credit boxes we will provide our product to. Take in healthcare where we have dental and the subcategories of dentistry are very low loss rates. And we find that because there's an ongoing relationship with the dentist. Sometimes you might be the second or third generation going to that dentist. And so people tend to pay off their dental bills or they're very low risk. Globally, for us, that number is far less than 1% loss rate. Now you compare that to the big screen TV you were talking about before, those loss rates can be 10, 15, 20%. So we won't do our loans in TVs, but we don't stop at the vertical level. We go to the sub-vertical, even looking at the procedure level. It turns out that there's certain procedures that have a very high correlation to losses. So that's where it starts. Then we work with Experian. We take about 20 of their products that we use. They're a strategic partner of ours, not just a vendor. And we created uh, technical derivatives that allow us to come up with our own score. We have our own risk and scoring models that are in our technology. And we create a technical derivative fit for purpose for us that helps us be very surgical within those credit boxes. Let me give you an example in education, because we like education, but we like education where we're doing professional certification, like the CPA exam preps that are a couple, $3,000. So that's very expensive, but future CPAs, they tend to pay their bills. So now we can keep our losses really low, and we do all of this at a wholesale level. So we work through the largest insurance companies in the world, the largest partners like American Express is a partner of ours, FIS WorldPay is a partner of ours, and by doing that, we get huge volume with those low losses. And we went to uh, Goldman Sachs and got a $271 million facility. And we got a really low cost of capital. Those are the three legs on our stool. Super low uh, risk and careful managed risk. Number two, a very high volume. And third leg on the stool, 
working with Goldman Sachs, a really low cost of capital. All three of those things allow us to get our rates down to that single digit APR for OPPay, our flagship product. Great. So, it sounds great. It reminds me of a book that we, we talked about with someone a couple of years ago, basically where to play. It's a first step. And then you can talk about the other book in the movement called Startup or Lean Startup Movement. But you first decide where to play, which is, it sounds very thoughtful. But if you were to paint a picture and let's focus on maybe something a little bit more challenging out of those sectors or examples you mentioned, like the car, the spare parts, how do you assess the credit risk at that individual level? Uh, because maybe I'm a reckless driver. Maybe I, I drive on Fridays on some street racing like Fast and Furious, and that's why I broke the car. So I, I need a spare part. How would you go about that uh, ch check? Or Because sometimes when you see BNPL, there is no check. But of course, it's probably the BNPL 1 or there you go. <laughs> one, 1, where the amounts are small, so it's a numbers game, right? It's no point of checking uh, whether you have $200 or not. Uh, rather, you compete whether uh, you are smooth in the checkout and things like this. But when it's something bigger, you need to check credit risk, not only on the sector level, but also individually. That was really good. You actually worked yourself through it there. And by the way, I'm just curious, are you speaking from personal experience about that uh, racing fast? No, I, I discovered a, a new hobby during the pandemic. There's uh, obviously a, a huge upheaval, but if you are, were fortunate to to go through it, then maybe you discovered something new, like uh, radio-controlled cars, so RC cars. And I, I didn't know that some people in this game say, if you didn't break it, you're doing it wrong. So every other time you have to come home and fix something. Right. So well, I'm thinking if you were to do it with a big car, like the Don and the others in the in that movie, The Fast and Furious, maybe you need to fix it every day also on a big car, which costs a couple of thousand, right? So right. then I come to you and you finance it for me. Great. Maybe I win the race this weekend, but maybe I don't. Then what? Let's go through the use case because it's a really good one. So first of all, just to connect it to what we said earlier, most people's relationship with their mechanic is really good. They go back to them time and time again. Because if you've got a good mechanic, you stick with them. You know, it's really hard to find a good mechanic because a lot of them take advantage of you out there. So you get a good one, you stick with them. That means your mm -hmm. risk tends to be lower with mechanics. So what happens is you go in and we are integrated into the technology that these verticals use the dealer management system that does the estimating, the patient management system that does the patient estimating for the root canal, how much it'll cost. In this case, the transmission. All right, the transmission is going to cost you 3,500 bucks. You're, you're able to spread it out over the next two years with OP. Right there in the system when the customer steps up. Now, the way that we do the credit risk is we do a soft pull. We do a soft pull from the bureau. That means we don't hurt their credit score by putting an inquiry into it. That's really important because now we have visibility at the point of sale at that moment, but it is including many of those other products from Experian that other companies very often don't use, even if they do a credit check and a lot as BNPL 1.0 doesn't. So we look at affordability, the ability to pay, right? Not just the likelihood of paying, but the ability to pay. So there's lots of different tools for each of these. Those are those 20 tools that I was talking about earlier. We also risk score the merchant. Now, our product is a instant credit at the point of sale using a closed end loan. Now, that's really important. 
because you will see some of the others out there, traditional lenders who have a credit card. They offer you a credit card. Now, every time you go there or elsewhere, you can use that, you know, healthcare credit card or auto service and repair credit card to get repairs in the future. The thing with those is that most often they are open-ended. They're not closed-end. So what that means for your audience is when you go to get your transmission done or your tooth repaired, our loan is for that specific procedure or repair at that time at that merchant. So what happens is we lower our risk because unlike a credit card that was issued to you two years ago, that they didn't know when and where you'd use it, we know exactly what you're buying, when you're buying it, for what you're buying it, for what period of time you're going to pay it off. And that kind of precision lowers our risk so we don't have to overprice for the unknown. An open-ended credit card or loan needs to do that, needs to say, hey, we better add 5%, 10% on here because we have no idea how and when they're going to use it. We know what your credit is at that moment. And it just takes a few seconds. It's very quick. The inquiry goes, it's a soft inquiry, it comes back, it says, congratulations, you've been approved for $3,000. Or maybe you asked for three and you got approved for 2000 rather than just none. And so that's how it works. Oh, wonderful. Yes, to get to a better uh, pricing, you have three legs on the stool, as you mentioned. And I think overarching theme here is the insight and the thought process that goes into it. So that sounds great. Now... You are the CEO of the U.S. operation at OP, but you are the global chief strategy officer. So can you comment on BNPL potential in other markets outside of the U.S.? It's been growing tremendously in some markets, but in other countries, it's still not yet available. So where do you see the most uh, significant potential? This is a really interesting question because there are a lot of uh, unknowns and uncertainty in different markets. I think the most important thing for your listeners to think about is the regulations that are spreading across different countries. Right now, for example, the FCA in the UK is being very restrictive on how they enable, support, or constrain the BNPL industry. Some countries tend to be leaders, obviously, and some countries tend to be followers. What I find is that, you know, what is the old saying? Invention is the mother of necessity. And so if you look at the things within a country that have the greatest need, you will find a higher use of BNPL. So let's take the U.S. just as an example and then travel that to other countries. In the United States, we have a real big problem with healthcare. It's a very expensive and individuals pay out of pocket a tremendous amount for their health care. Uh, it's, it's heavily inflated, and it's a real problem here that no one is solving anytime soon. Our BNPL product here can lower the cost of healthcare financing by as much as 66%, this flat fee. So we have that problem. You go to other countries, and they don't have that problem because you know they have a public healthcare system that, that helps cover people. Mm-hmm. They may have other issues, particularly in education or in auto service and repair. And so if they have a real hard time providing for financing options in education, you will see the beginning and the use and rapid growth of BNPL for education. So it it really is an interesting question, and and it's a complicated one to answer, but you have to look at what's happening in each country, 
what the regulators are doing, and what problems need to be solved within that uh, particular region or country. Understood. Makes sense. So let's see how this is going to pan out. Now, you talked about the flat fee, so let's just uh, close that a little bit because of course, the interesting thing is for investors and also for your clients, how do you make money? Is that is this the only fee, only revenue source, or are there any other uh, revenue streams that you have? How does that work? Well, I mean, as a company, we have other products. We have a B2B product, which is called OP Pro, and that is a SaaS model where our platform is used in a business-to-business context. And we make a fee that is not related to credit risk. It's really more about helping buyers and suppliers and enabling their relationship through automation. So as a company, we do have other revenue sources, particularly within the OPPay product. We are focused on providing high value, growing revenue for merchants from consumers that may put off some of these. We improve elasticity, et cetera. So the merchants pay us that fee I talked about, that merchant discount rate. And so the consumer's fee is, can be lower. But our two primary sources of, of income come from the merchant and the consumer on each side of that transaction for that product. We don't have other fees that we put on top. We have a very small late fee so people don't take advantage of us. Um, it's $10, $15, but it is not material. In the U.S., we don't expect that to be really much of anything. So it's really about adding value to the consumer and the merchant in that uh, loan. And that's our primary source of income. Cool. And when you look at your operations around the world, where are you based? U.S., other countries, how does that work? And maybe if you can talk about some of your new priority markets, that would be great to know as well. We have operations and we do loans in four countries right now. We have the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and the US. The, the primary focus of the company right now is Australia, where we're targeting to get to uh, profitability in the next 12 to 18 months. I'm doing very well there. And you can look at our, our half to you know, second half of results that's all public uh, since we're publicly traded. And then our other big focus is the United States. Addressable market here, our TAM, is about $1.3 trillion. So there are lots of opportunities around the world. But when you look at the size of the U.S. market and what we're doing here with American Express and FIS World, Easy Vet on the veterinarian clinics, patient now for the you know hospitals and physicians' offices, there's just so much opportunity here. This is where we're putting our focus. We're serving the UK um, increasingly from our Australian operation. By the way, you asked the question, Australia is our headquarters as a global company, and the US headquarters is here in the United States in San Diego, just about uh, 60 minutes away from where I am, uh, 60-minute flight away from where I am. But right now, that's our focus. Really, Australia and the U.S. with the massive growth opportunity here in the U.S. for the OP USA subsidiary. All right, understood. Great stuff. Now, before we wrap up, I just have two easy questions for you, potentially. Let's see. First one is, do you have a favorite business book that you can recommend? Oh, yeah. I just read the second time. I went through it twice because I like the CEO only does three things. It's a great book. And it's not just for CEOs. Anybody that manages or leads a team can get a lot out of it. It's super practical, but very interesting. So that's one I would recommend. Wonderful. So thank you for that one. I'm going to check it out and put it in the show notes as well. Now, the last question is, what's the best way to reach out and 
what kind of people or business partners would you like to hear from most? Oh, great question. Thanks for asking that. I'm a huge user of LinkedIn. I have about I don't know, 18,500 followers. I'm very active. I'm very responsive. Uh, so they can reach out to me through LinkedIn, Brian Schneiderman, S-H-N-I-D-E-R-M-A-N. There's no C in my last name. Or they can shoot me a note, bschneiderman at op.com is my email. And would love to see them on LinkedIn. And if they want to see some of the articles and things that I've written about in various trade magazines related to payments and fintech, they can find them there. But uh, yeah, I welcome people to reach out directly. Great. Thank you so much, Brian. And uh, good luck to you and OP. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.